So often we get to church, we uh, lay our clothes out on Saturday night, we plan on getting the kids ready, and we get them all ready, and we, if we don't have kids at home, we've got everything planned out, we get up, we drink our coffee, we read the internet, we do whatever, we go to Sunday school, we go to worship, and we sit and we think, Boy, the singing was good. The worship, the preacher did all right. And, uh, you know, just glad it didn't rain on us when we were going in, going out. But I want you to pause for just a minute and think about that song. We're not here for any of that. We're here for an audience of one. This is about him. It's not about you. You see, we're living in a consumer mentality, consumer-driven church where we go to a church and whether we're a visitor or a lifetime charter member, we often look at, what are you doing for me? What are you doing for me? I I show up, I go to Sunday school, and I mean, the donuts would go bad if I didn't come eat the donuts. Well, I think we ought to have hot dogs. I don't. I think we ought to have pizza. I think the kids play too much. I don't think the kids play enough. I think we need to do this and we do that and we do others. It's funny, usually those comments come from people that will never take leadership. And it's all about what have you done for me lately? May we pause this morning and refocus our attention on the one that this is really all about. Why we live and breathe and have our being. We are here today by His grace and we should be here for His glory. And I pray that is what happened. I know it happened in the music. May it happen as we open His Word to Acts 17. Acts chapter 17. And as we continue looking, and man, I look around uh, the, uh, the building today and I see uh, many familiar faces and I see some not so familiar and I see some guests here with us today. We are so abundantly thrilled God has led you here today. Join with us in worshiping the Lord today. And we're just, if, you, if I can answer any questions, anything, our information is in the bulletin. But grab me. I'll, I, I'm usually one of the last ones to leave. Just grab me. Introduce yourself. I'll try to get to you. But through several months, we have been going through the Acts of the Apostles, looking at the early church. This is where the church began. And we've seen it transition from believers in Jerusalem to converted Jews, the diaspora, those who were out, the Hellenistic Jews and those who were on the outskirts. But now we have begun to see Samaritans saved and Gentiles saved. And now they're going on missionary journeys. Last week we saw (coughs) where they prayed and said, uh, and, and Paul received a vision. Barnabas said, come over and help us in Macedonia. And it's intriguing. Sometimes the people who want our help are the people who complain the most. But I want you to understand, no matter what you're facing in your life today, and whether you feel appreciated or not, 
If you're serving God, God has a purpose and a plan. Stay faithful. As we look at this scripture this morning, turn to Acts 17. Acts chapter 17. And I want to read verse 6 into your listening today. And then we'll go back and look at this context. But as they have been preaching here in Macedonia, a place called Thessalonica, we see this same story but from a different vantage point in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2. And it said, when they found them not, they drew Jason. Now, this was the worldly crowd, the, the religious crowd that were not believers. And Paul had been preaching the gospel. They had been proclaiming it along with Silas and many others. And this man named Jason who had become a convert. And so they drew Jason and certain brethren into the rulers of the city crying, they have turned the world upside down. Those that have turned it upside down have come to do the same here. I don't know about you, but the, young, the younger I was, the less routine bothered me. The older I get, uh, the more I like a routine. Uh, you know, I can't believe I'm actually saying that. But I like things a little, little more planned, not a whole lot more planned. I'm not OCD, but I I'm still like to think of myself as being spontaneous, but I like a planned spontaneity, if that's possible. Well, sometimes God turns everything upside down, right? Do you, we, we assume we know what that word means. This is what the dictionary says. Upside down literally means great disorder. So when they're saying these, these men have come here to do what they've done everywhere else, and that is create a great disorder. Now you'll see as we go, this was a pagan society one who were worshiping the gods of Rome, those who had adopted the, the gods of the Greeks and the gods of the Persians and all these little G-gods from all over the world. They were open-minded. They were deep, free thinkers. Does that sound familiar? They were tolerant. But here's the deal. It literally means a polar opposite from that which is the norm. It was a complete opposite from what they were used to doing. The worst thing I think I've ever heard in the church is, preacher, we ain't never done it that way. I literally had a leader in my last church say, preacher, I know it's probably wrong, and I'm thinking, no, I know by that statement, it's going to be wrong. He said, but I just, I like my little church, and I'm afraid we've lost it. I said, well, praise God. Because it wasn't ever your church to start with. Matter of fact, you wasn't even here when they chartered the church, but that has nothing to do with it. As far as I know, there wasn't a single deacon, even though 
Stephen gave his life as a martyr for Christ. Even though Paul and Peter and those apostles gave their life, none of them redeemed and bought the church. His name is Jesus. Y'all with me? It's not my church. It's not your church. It's the Lord's church. But I've got news for you. Your family, your precious, beautiful family that's sitting with you today or somewhere else, they may be your family, but they belong to God. They belong to God. Yesterday morning at 1125, a girl that I grew up with uh, went to school and graduated with her younger sister. They went to our home church. She had been fighting cancer for several years, and God healed her eternally. 57 years old, she went to be with her Lord. Their family, two just graduated from college, one just married this year. Their world's been turned upside down. They'll go home to disorder in their hearts and in their minds. They'll reach for a phone to call their mother or to call their wife or to call their sister or a mom and dad to call their oldest child and realize she won't answer. Their world has been turned upside down. There's a, le a, a level of uh, discomfort in that like nothing else. But that is what they're saying in the unspiritual realm here in Acts. And so today, I want us to look at upside down. When I was in high school, uh, you know, I was country boy can survive. And uh, we wore Massey Ferguson hats. It was whoever had the newest Massey Ferguson hat was the coolest. And uh, we wore blue jeans and our best hunting boots. And when it'd get cold enough, we'd wear flannel shirts. We were the, you know, you had the jocks, then you had the rednecks, then you had the potheads. That's what they were. And you could see a pothead a mile off. They had bell-bottom Levi's about that wide. Y'all remember? Anybody remember that? Nobody? Yeah. And usually a heavy metal rock concert t-shirt. That's what they wore. You know, the, uh, the preppies, they had four Izod shirts layered with the collars up. Not kidding you. See, that flannel and boots and a Max Ferguson hat sounds better and better, doesn't it? I remember one of the things in a, class, a science class that I actually enjoyed. We dissected a cow's eyeball. Now this is what's... Now listen, this is... The Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You say, yeah, but that's a cow. Y'all, come on. And y'all have never ate a steak? Y'all don't know how that happens? You know, you ever, you ever ate a barbecue sandwich? You don't know how that happens? No, I just eat chicken. Well, it may be processed in parts, but it still come from an animal. Listen to me. As we dissected it, in, in the eyeball there's fluid. And like a few years ago, I, I developed a flasher. It's like these little, sometimes when you get older, the fluid 
becomes jailed in places. And when I would turn my eye to the right, I would get a bright flash of light on one side. Other people have floaters where it's like these little spots. Well, in that fluid, that fluid becomes kind of jailed. Well, the thing about that fluid is it is what reflects the image you're seeing. Now, we, would, we took and dissected this, took the fluid out, and he said, now hold it up and look through it. And we held it up and looked through it, and everything was upside down. That fluid in the eye is what corrects it. It is what, in our eyes, when, when that fluid has these little clots, these little gelled places, you develop floaters and flashers and all kinds, it messes everything up. But no fluid at all, we would see everything upside down. Well, without the Holy Spirit of God correcting our lives, what looks right is wrong. The Bible says that we have partaken of that which is evil and called it good. And that which is good we have called evil. That's the world we're living in, and that's the world Paul was preaching to. And he had come and proclaiming life. Listen, life. Life that they may have it more abundantly, and the world says no. You're turning our world upside down. This makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to be a part of that. Preacher preaches too loud. The singers sing too long. They, they have all those instruments. And I'm used to a piano. And I'm used, listen, they hadn't always had pianos. If you remember David, I mean, when's the last time you heard a harp play in worship? You know? Or the, the cymbals and the timbrels and the trumpets and uh, all those Instruments of the Old Testament. Listen, no matter what, as long as Christ is glorified, I want you to understand, the unbelievers in Thessalonica were so threatened by these sweeping changes brought on by the gospel, they felt like their entire way of life was in jeopardy. But I want you to understand the truth is that the gospel washed through Macedonia like a tidal wave. Sinners were being saved. Drunkards were coming home sober. The sick were being healed. Pagans were forsaken. And even former racial enemies were sitting side by side. Jews and Gentiles sitting together worshiping the same Savior. It was dramatic. It was nothing but godly and heavenly. Isn't it amazing? Listen, the, the worst thing in life, I believe, is being at odds with somebody you really love. But the sweetest, the sweetest nectar of life is when forgiveness is found. That washing over you of the purity of Christ, that Christ in you, the hope of glory, lets go of grudges uh, and, and ill feelings, and, and we remember that but by the grace of God go I. And how dare I hold grudges against someone else when Jesus, God for Christ's sake, doesn't hold us accountable for what we deserve, which is hell, but Jesus died for us? Listen, church. If we're going to turn our world upside down, if we're going to radically see God do a work, in our family, in our church, in our community, in our state, in our country, and in our world, to where they look and they say, oh my goodness, 
their world has turned upside down. Then the first thing we must have is an evangelistic outreach. Churches that die, you know, the big catchphrase in Baptist life is revitalization. Revitalization, and it's needed. And this is why. Because for too long, the local church has been so inwardly focused where they're more worried about having a business meeting to discuss whether they ought to pay $200 for a dumpster once a month or $500 for a dumpster for three months. Y'all think I'm joking? Well, I think we ought to go with a Broadman hymnal. Well, I think we ought to go with the old red back stamps Baxter. Well, we'll just bring it to a vote. And there, we're, let's buy them both. We've got the internet. Print whatever you want. Pay the license fee. Do whatever you want. But don't fight. We have been so inwardly focused that we are no, of no outwardly value. None. Well, and, and October 27th, this is something cool. And I'll mention more of it later and as we go. But October 27th, that, that Sunday night will be our annual harvest festival. And it's not just for the church. It's for reaching the children of this community who need to hear Jesus loves you. Let's not forget that's why we're here. We're here to present the gospel. We must have an evangelistic outreach. For where, where do we do it? We need to be where the people are. Where are people? Well, people's in church. Very good point. He said in verse 1, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. They knew. Hey, synagogue, that's where the Jews are going to be. This is where people are going to be. We call Paul's approach intentional evangelism, and I am an absolute believer. And I believe in personal evangelism. Every born-again believer has been called to be a witness. So I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't talk real well. I don't know how to share my faith. Can you speak? Can you use sign language? Can you, I mean, communicate it all? If you can communicate it all, and you truly are born again, then all you have to do is say, this is what Jesus did for me. Do you know what Jesus did for you? Do you? This is yes. This is no. You do? Yeah. Yes. I know Jesus died for my sins. See, I was taught that by a loving set of parents. I was taught that by loving Sunday school teachers. I was taught that by loving RA directors and training union teachers, pastors, but you know who convinced me of it? The Holy Spirit of God. As he said, you're a sinner. And you're who Jesus died for. And Forty-seven years ago, during a revival service, I came to an altar, bowed down, and confessed, Lord, I'm a sinner and I don't want to die and go to hell. 
I didn't fully grasp all the wonder of heaven and angels and, and gold streets. I mean, I heard some of that stuff, but I'm going to tell you, and I don't think it's necessarily wrong because if you didn't realize this, if you read through the four gospels, you read through the synoptics and the gospel of John, you'll realize Jesus talks about hell three times as much as he talks about heaven because he died so people don't have to go there. Hell was created for Satan and his angels, not for us. God created us in his image, and although some charlatans want to say we're just little gods because we were created in his image, that's, that makes us little gods. That is a cult is what that is. I'm not a god. You're not a god. Some people walk around and think they're god. Just go to Walmart and Statesboro. Everybody think, listen, why do we think we own the interstate? Why do we think we own the roads, we own the parking lots, we own everything else? We must be where people are. Now, I'm not discounting personal evangelism. There is always a place for that, but there's also a place for mass evangelism or, or event evangelism as it's often called. So as Paul and his friends were winning souls one-on-one, -on -one, they also had a plan on a broader scale. Step one would be to draw a crowd. They would draw a crowd. They would go. They would go to the synagogues. This is where it starts. There was no leading of the Spirit to stop at Amphipolis or Apollyana, so the group proceeded on to Thessalonica, which was about 100 miles from Philipp, Philippi in the capital. So Thessalonica had this established synagogue. This was the perfect place to draw a crowd. Now, you can't go anywhere in Claxton, just about, that somebody won't know at least they've heard about Eastside. Yeah, that's that church over up a hill from Quickie Marker, behind the subway. Yeah, that's that church. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I went there when I was in Bible school. Talked to a boy the other day. He's in his 30s. I was doing a business transaction with him. He said, oh man, I used to go, go into children's ministry. I went to Bible school when I was a kid there. I said, well, where are you going now? Well, I said, well, you too grown for Jesus? No, you're right. You're right. I need to come. I need to come. I said, it's not about me being right. It's about you getting right with the one who loves you. People know where Eastside is. This is a wonderful, amazing place to draw a crowd. How many were here for Night to Shine last year? Unbelievable, wasn't it? We had over 550 volunteers to serve people with special needs, not in counting them and their families. We had over 1,000 people come through those doors right there last year. We fed them. We rode them in limousines, rode red carpet, took pictures, danced, celebrated, loved, hugged, cried, all of that in this place. And you know what? We went over there and standing in the pulpit of the old sanctuary, we were able to present Christ to over 180 college student volunteers that came to be buddies of the people with special needs. Fraternity brothers, sorority sisters, 
college students from all over the place, high school students who participated in their orientation, we presented the gospel. Families saw the love of Christ and we shared it with them that night. We must draw a crowd. And we do it at church. We do it through Superhero Sunday, October the 27th. And I'm telling you, it's going to be, it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be out of this world. I mean, it's going to be amazing. I mean, have you seen any of the Avengers? That's, that's, that's like a, a, a B-list, Rotten Tomatoes, 30-score movie compared to what's going to happen here on that Sunday. Man, the heroes we're going to meet that day, I've heard they're coming in from the air, coming, I, I, I'm not joking. I am not exaggerating. They're going to be just dropping out of the sky, coming up the road, I mean, with all kinds of bright lights and great, great things happening that day. We're going to draw a crowd. We're going to draw a crowd. You know what? Next Sunday night, next Sunday night, September 1st, we're going to have a Labor Day church-wide. That means all of you who may not usually come on Sunday night or those of you who are not members, you're just, begin, just visiting for the first time today. You are my special guest to come to our church-wide Labor Day weekend picnic at Spring Hollow Farms on Highway 250 next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Amen? And if you've never participated in anything like that, Esau, I can promise you one thing. You will not go away hungry. We believe in eating and eating well. We're going to have a great time with games. There's, I mean, there's cornhole. There's going to be a bouncy house, slide, all this stuff for kids. And, and I mean, we're going to have kickball and all kinds of fun things. There's a pond to go fishing at and all kinds of great, great fellowship for believers. But you know what? You may bring a lost friend and you're able to tear down a wall. Now hear this. They would never darken the doors of a church on a Sunday morning, but they'd go to a picnic with you. Because they fear the unknown. Well, all those, all the, they've heard this all their life. All those people at church are a bunch of hypocrites. Well, everybody at Walmart's crazy, but you still go there and shop. We all fail the grace of God, but here's the deal. They've heard that all their life, and whether it's true or not, they use excuses. Well, this and that, and I've heard about this, and I've heard it. Listen, invite them to a picnic. Invite That's at work. That's at school. It's at play. Because, listen, he tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, Hebrews 10, 25. That's just expected from a believer. Preachers should never have to say anything about Christians going to church. But look, Matthew or Levi in Luke 5, 29, he threw a huge party at his house for all of his former friends, which were the most irreligious, secular, world-loving people in town. He drew a crowd and Jesus presented his love and grace. Only heaven knows how many sinners were converted that day. What do you think happened when Jesus said, Hey, Zacchaeus, 
Come on down, son. Let's go to your house. Are you entertaining lost people? Are you open to entertaining them in your realm? I understand. Listen, I'm a, I'm a parent. I don't want my kids hanging out with thugs and, and drug heads and all this kind of stuff. But I also don't want them to block off their, their thinking to be light and salt in a lost and dying world. You hear me? There's probably people in this room right now that's been in prison before. Beside people who's retired from there. When I worked in the prison system, the people who worked there was worse than the ones that was in it. Not, not, not throwing any, any shade there. There, there may be people who God delivered from drugs, delivered from alcohol, from, from all a litany. I mean, that's just, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. That's our easy little framework of sin, but there's such a vast array. Don't think you don't fit because I didn't mention it. But there are people who are sitting among us. Paul! who was preaching, was a murderer. And he wasn't just a regular, everyday murderer. He killed Christians. Until what? Until he met Jesus. Have you met Jesus? Today would be a great time. We, we, we go where people are. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I have become all things to all men, that by all means some might be saved. To the weak, I became as weak. To the strong, I was strong. Uh, uh, to the Greek, to the Jew, whatever. We need to meet people where they're at. Listen, at work, there was one young, imaginative pastor in Texas long, long time ago started a cowboy roundup, which involved inviting cowboys from all over West Texas to uh, spend a, a week camping out and entering various rodeo events. The pastor then would preach the gospel to them every day at lunch. The man was George W. Truett, the pastor at First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas, from 1897 to 1944, of whom we have named many Baptist buildings and colleges and everything else after. Warren Wiersbe, who's now with the Lord, reported that Truett continued the roundup for 37 years and many hundreds of cowboys were won to Christ. Let me tell you another little fact that some of you may not know. Many of you have been to the uh, Johnny Hunt Men's Conference. Y'all been to that? I've been to First Baptist Woodstock when they ran 140 in Sunday school. That building. Downtown Woodstock. Where Johnny started when he first started pastoring. Do you know what? Of course, it's the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't ever think I'm discounting that. But do you know what the niche was that began Woodstock and their world being turned upside down? Do you know what happened? What what was the linchpin? Johnny Hunt, past president of the Southern Baptist Convention, now 
head of evangelism for the North American Mission Board that pastored that great mega church, First Baptist Woodstock. One Saturday night, he went to one of my favorite places that I would go to during the summer. We'd go by a little place called the Dixie Inn that had the best chili slaw dogs you ever eat. And then we would just drive down the road just a few miles to Dixie Speedway, a dirt track, one of the best ones around south of Eldora. Unbelievable dirt track. Johnny loved dirt track racing, and he'd go over there. Before long, he became friends with the owner, and before long, he became the chaplain. And he would go in and begin preaching to the drivers and, and it, it grew and it grew and then people started getting saved and people started getting baptized and then they started coming to Woodstock and things started growing and then they sold the old building. They all big, built bigger buildings. People kept being saved. But they drew a crowd at a dirt track. Whether it's with cowboys or racers or through super, superheroes, when Christ is magnified, and gets all the glory, we'll turn our world upside down. We got to be where the people are. But then we must preach the gospel. We got to preach it. We must preach. Oh, preach the gospel, and if you must, use words. I don't know who made that up. St. Augustine didn't say that. Some great Christian forefather didn't say that. And I understand we ought to live our lives sometimes where we can't, but people know we're not going to do the things of this world. We're not going to compromise. But God said, preach the word. And how will they hear without a preacher, without one who proclaims it? And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Preach the gospel. The purpose of drawing the crowd, he said in verse Two and three is to share the good news with them. If we draw a crowd and we just pump it up and say, we love you. Man, we love people with special needs. We love your family. And we want you to come and have a great night. But we don't ever mention Jesus. That is a complete failure and waste of money. You can disagree with me, but it would be wrong if you want to. But we're the church of the living God. Our job is to present Jesus. Do you know that we entertain, on average, one to five requests for benevolent help? That means pay people's water bills, electric bills, help them with this bill and that bill. We've, asked, we've been asked to pay people's speeding ticket. By the way, we'll never do that. And I, I'll just go and tell you, if you know somebody and you encourage someone to come for help, we, we will consider it. But if they come with an $800 newest iPhone smoking cigarettes in a car newer than the average church member, they're probably not going to get anything. I'm just telling you the honest truth. What we've got to understand, though, is when they come, they fill out the intake form. And we have three very godly leaders in our church. We'll review it. But before they will even be considered, they must attend a worship service. They must. And what's so funny is a lot of times they think, well, I'll just get through on a Wednesday night. We have more, if they actually come to a service, one other day filled it out and said, hold on a minute, I'm, I'm almost through, I've got to go get my tag off my car. 
We ain't seen her since. She never even filled it, finished it, and turned it in. She just went and got her car and left. But they'll show up on Wednesday night thinking, I can skate through this on Wednesday night. They don't realize some of the most godly people in the discussions and the Bible study and the prayer time we have on Wednesday night is where the rubber meets the road and they hear the gospel. You see, he said in verse 2 and 3, listen, and Paul, after his manner was, went in unto them. That, that's what's astounding. He said, after what manner? This, what, what does that even mean? After his manner was. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because he said there, as his manner was, he went unto them and three Sabbath days. How much time is that? How many Sabbath days a week? One. So for three weeks, he's going back. He's walking in the streets. He's buying at the same marketplaces they're, they're buying at. He's walk, walking around in the same areas they're walking. And he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Now first of all, I want you to notice that, that phrase, and Paul as his manner was. What does that mean? After his manner was. Well, W.A. Criswell also another past pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas, wrote in his commentary on Acts about this. He said, with his heart burning within him, the Apostle Paul entered the synagogue as his manner was. The same pattern can be found in the life of the Lord Jesus in Luke 4 as his custom was. He went into the synagogue and took up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. We will find when we study the life of early Christians that they lived in the church. They were not casual visitors. They didn't come inadvertently. But they attended the services with great dedication, purpose, and habit. So it should be for Christians today. It should be second nature for those of us who name the name of Christ to walk in the door of the house of God and to sit down with His people. It should be our way of life. So Paul goes, so should we as our manner is. And he went and he reasoned with them. What does that mean? It was spiritual reasoning. He was not trying to argue from man's point of view, but he gave a defense. Jude writes and says, to earnestly contend for the faith. Peter writes, and be able to give an answer to every man that asketh the hope that is within you. You remember when you did something to your sibling or you did something, you're your only child, you did more than those with siblings probably. But somewhere along the way, your mama looked at you and said, tell them you're sorry. You ever done it and inside, you did it, get mama off your back, but inside they wasn't a sorry ounce in your blood. You know, what does it sound like when you say, sorry. 
But you've ever done something and you realize you just really hurt somebody you love? It ain't, I'm sorry, it's, I apologize. Will you forgive me? Don't look at somebody and say, hey, I, if I offended you, listen, if you've got to say that, you're not sorry. You know whether you offended somebody or not. Don't let, well, if I said something out of line, you know whether you said something out of line. Say, please forgive me. But there's a difference, and, and we have perverted it in the English. This is the one place that the original Greek doesn't translate into the English. It's actually upside down. It's polar opposite. When we use the word apology, we mean to, to cower down and say, in humility, I messed up. Please forgive me. But when Paul says it, to give an apology, he's saying to contend with great boldness, to stand in truth and be able to tell people, thus saith the Lord. That's what the word apologia literally means, to give an apology, to reason with the Scripture, spiritually speaking. What does God want you to say? And by the way, the greatest reasoning you can do with man, if the Holy Spirit has not quickened you to open your mouth, is just to study to be quiet. I want to give you a little tidbit of information. Now, it doesn't say this exactly in the Scripture, but I think it'll bear truth to it. An old preacher told me this a long time ago. When I went and complained, man, I got this person that did this and this person that did this. He said, can I give you some advice? I said, yeah. He said, always remember this. You can't insult an idiot. You know, we've heard you can't fix stupid. Well, you can't insult an idiot. If they want to be an idiot, there's nothing you can say that's going to change their mind. They are right. They're always going to be right. There ain't nothing you can say that's going to change any of that. So don't stand there and argue for the sake of just arguing. Y'all know I like to watch live PD. There's nothing dumber and funnier to watch, Dale, you appreciate this, and all you other police officers, than the guy that says, I'm a Moorish, independent, sovereign citizen. Now, the technical definition of that is, I'm stupid, and I watch YouTube for all of my law degree. They're not lawyers, they're not smart, and they say, you don't have any right. And they said, but you're you don't have a driver's license. I don't need one. If you're driving the car, I wasn't driving. What were you doing? Traveling. That's what they say. And so they've got this guy pulled over, and he keeps on. He won't roll the window down. He won't open. And so they kindly help and assist him out of the car and into a nice, pretty shiny set of bracelets. And they begin to explain. Well, you notice at the start of it, this police officer's playing with him a little bit in the sense of he's heard it a million times. Uh, this sovereign citizen nonsense, it's just it's crazy. He said, uh, I'm, in the, I'm in the, on the continent of America. He said, you're not even right with that. You're on the continent of North America, but you're inside the country of the United States of America. And it goes on. He said, I'm not doing this. And finally he realized... I'm trying to insult an idiot, and it won't work. 
He said, I'll just let the judge handle you. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes what we need to do is walk away and say, I'll let the judge handle it. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So, preacher, you shouldn't say words like idiot. Well, they shouldn't be idiots. Sometimes I've done some things I've thought, I'm an idiot. I'm just, I'm not real bright. How in the world? And Jesus loves me and God says, listen, I knew you wasn't bright when I saved you. That's why I had to save you. You ain't the brightest bulb on the tree, son. You know, he feels sorry for me is what he does. But that great grace, we reason with him out of the scripture. We can look from the teleological argument, from the cosmological argument, from the axiological argument. We know there's absolute truth. It is not subjective. It is objective. We know you don't have to have a law that says, thou shalt not push old women in front of fast-moving buses. Do we need a law for that? Is that just kind of common sense? You know why it's common sense? It's objective truth. That is that we have an absolute moral ethic. We know that it's wrong to throw newborn babies out of planes. You say, why would you do that? Because listen, Hitler and Mussolini and Stalin and Alexander the Great and Xerxes and all the others, they've been doing this all over. Cain killed his own brother, church. We've got to understand, people do some of the most horrific things you could ever imagine. Think of the serial killers. Think of the mass shootings. We need to understand the moral argument. We need to understand the design argument. I've got to watch. Y'all wouldn't think I did. But I've got this watch that was a gift. And it's a little small watch. I was going to wear this big old chunky watch. I said, that's too big. Put this little watch on. But you know the thing about it is, I can look at it and see what time it is and not have to know how it works. But I know that if I take that back, when it quits working, it means the battery's not working. I take it off and know there's a design. Someone designed, set down, and all those working parts. There's nothing that boggles my mind, Dean, than to see somebody take apart and put together a transmission with all the clutches and all the disc and hundreds and thousands of pieces and do all that. I, you know, I can mess up a 50-piece puzzle. How can you look at this world and say, it just happened? We're fearfully and wonderfully made. It's an argument from creation. We need to use spiritual reasoning, scriptural explanation. We ought to know enough of the Word of God we can lead somebody to Jesus. I asked class this morning, what's your favorite, favorite Bible verse? Boy, Justin spoke up and he said, I'll tell you mine, John 3, 16. I said, well, it don't come any better than that. That's enough. If we had to throw the rest of the Bible away and we never had anything but one verse, John 3, 16 would be enough. It'd be enough. You know why? You say, well, we need to know about the creation account. Romans tells us that even if we didn't have it, 
that by looking at creation, the world is without excuse for the heavens and the earth declare His glory. I love the sunsets in South Georgia, don't you? When that sun reflects off the clouds in the west and it's just pink and orange and it's ablaze. The rainbow as the light refracts through those water crystals and it comes out in color. Listen, scriptural explanation. Tell God, tell the world what God and who He is. And then a faithful persuasion. He said in verse 3, opening and alleging or persuading. Paul carefully dealt with his hearer's questions and doubts. The best gift we can give to Claxton is the gospel. We need to preach it. But then we need to draw the net. It said in verse 4, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. You know what drawing the net means? It means an invitation, not manipulation. We could sing an invitation song. I could call Matt up and say, sing that verse again. Sing it. We could go through and sing the same chorus. Eight or, well, I just believe somebody else is going to move. Nobody's moved yet. We've sung it eight times. Ninth verse ain't going to matter. I don't believe in manipulation. We don't want to try to emotionally manipulate anybody because they will just go away as lost as they were when they come. They may be riding an emotional roller coaster. And I believe you'll be emotional when you're saved, but the invitation means to invite them to trust Jesus, not ourselves. Right? Sunday school teacher, when's the last time you invited your class members to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Give an invitation. Pastor, the night I was saved, gave an invitation. I didn't come to preacher save me. He was bestowing and, and giving out the, an invitation unto Jesus. And I came to Jesus and trusted Him as my Lord and Savior. Listen, it's not manipulation. It's an invitation. And it's encouragement, not intimidation. We don't try to intimidate people. You need to do it like this and be like this and go this way and go that way. I, listen, I don't want nobody to tell me how to do it. I want the Bible to tell me how to do it. And I want to tell you, I don't know the perfect way and I, I don't know the perfect words, but I do know what God said. And God says, for there are none righteous, no, not one. God's Word says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. All. You know how many all is? All. And he tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that if you will believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, that the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins, you shall be saved. We ought to encourage people to trust Christ. But real quickly, I want you to notice what happens when we start turning the world upside down. It makes people uncomfortable. It gets them out of their zone. We don't, we, they want to be our friends as long as we don't impede on their freedom of sin. Listen, when we are turning the world upside down, 
Remember, that's, they were mad. It wasn't a, a word of encouragement. When we serve the Lord, don't think for a minute Satan's going to sit still and ignore it. He will come against believers with everything he has, but everything he has doesn't compare to a little bit with Jesus. Y'all with me? Hear this real quickly. We've got to anticipate an opposition. Verse 5, But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. This was the dregs of society. They went and they corralled up the worst people they could think of and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And he says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come here also. We need to realize, listen, the angry mobs of this world have a certain mentality. He said in the latter part, part of verse 5, he said, this, this, these lewd fellows, this baser sort, this gathered company saw the city in uproar and came to assault the house of those who had trusted Jesus. They went to take them out. That's the mob's mentality we live in this world. We see what they're doing. We see them on the streets and they cover their faces and they do most unheard of things and the words and the vileness that come out of their mouth when people just silently stand in defense of the unborn. We live in a depraved world. A depraved society. They wanted to publicly humiliate Paul and his company. I want to encourage everybody here today. You're serving in public office. You serve as a school teacher. You work in a hospital. You do things and work around children and around adults. You work in business for yourself and you are a Christian and the world knows that. They're going to do everything in their power to try to humiliate you, tear you down, belittle you. Don't personalize it. Realize Satan is behind it. Get mad at Satan. Pray for those who despitefully use you. But walk away taking hope because if you were no hope, no threat to Satan, he wouldn't bother you. So apparently you've rattled his cage. You've done what God wanted. Y'all get that? Hey, rattle his cage this week. The mob's complaint, they knew how successful Paul had been. And they feared the same thing, same thing for their city. You understand we're world changers. We're different makers. Those of you who went to Guatemala, didn't we have a great time? We have a wonderful time. Did our plane land in Savannah like we planned at 11 o'clock and we got a good night's sleep and came to church? I got in bed at 4.30 a.m. Put off by the storms and all that. But that don't compare the pastor down there, the church we're partnering with that loves the Lord, that wanted a new church building where more people can come. They hadn't been worshiping in it for a good month 
and somebody had cased their house and realized they weren't meeting in their home anymore and broke in while they were at church and stole them blind. They said even the keys hanging on the wall inside the door, they took all of those. They took everything from Pastor Walter, Ingrid, Vicky, and Dana's home. Everything. The world hates the move of Christ, but it can't stop it. The mob's demand was, hey, y'all need to shut up, pack up, and leave us alone. But church, we must be as Peter, James, John, Paul, Barnabas, Silas, John Mark, Epaphroditus, and all the rest that says we can do nothing but what God has called us to do. And so we see the missionary's victory. Whether there's a hundred get saved or none that day. Whether we have a big superhero day and meet our goal or not. Whether the world looks different expressly because of something we did or not. If we are found faithful, that's all that matters. Are you where God wants you to be as they come to the instrument? I want to ask you that may not know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe this morning made you a little uncomfortable. Maybe you've not read the Bible like you should because you get to a part and it convicts you. I want you to understand something. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you miserable. He died that you may have life and have it more abundantly. How many of you here today that are saved regret it? Will you raise your hand? Come on, don't be shy. It's all right. Anybody been born again for three years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years that regrets it? Go ahead. Those of you who have never been saved, this could be the greatest day of your life, of your eternity. You see, my friend, my sister in Christ that went to be with the Lord at 1125 a.m. yesterday, she knew who her Redeemer was and that He lives because of her profession of faith years and years ago, walking out there in our home church and Jesus saving her. For God so loved us that He gave us His only begotten Son that whosoever, that's you, believes in Him should not perish that have everlasting life. Don't you want to come trust Jesus today? Don't you want to know that you know that you know that if tomorrow doesn't come on this side, eternity is glory with Jesus. Don't believe everything you've heard at funeral homes. Everybody's not going to heaven. Everybody's not going to wear a crown. There's not just a better place in a storing house if you die without Christ. It's an eternal separation from Him and all those who are saved. Don't you want to trust Jesus this, this morning? Don't you want to follow up in believer's baptism? Don't you want to give God all you've got because it don't even compare to what He gave us? Stand. Come to Jesus. Come, we'll pray with you. We'll pray with you. Come, trust Jesus today.